If you are into sustainability and cannabis, this show is for you. Hi, I'm Benjamin Douglas Ray, the creator and host of Sustainable Cannabis TV, a daily 30-minute interview show focused on sustainable practices within the cannabis industry. Sustainable Cannabis TV is designed to give listeners in-depth insights, knowledge, and stories of industry professionals who are positive impacting the world and making a difference. This show is brought to you by my line of organic hemp CBD products called 8 Saints Brand. THC-free creams, balms, and tinctures to ease joint pain, reduce anxiety, and help you sleep better. Check them out at 8SaintsBrand.com. Hey, it's uh, Benjamin Douglas Ray here with another edition of SustainableCannabis.tv. Today, I've got Tom McNamara here. He's the president of Protective Packaging Solutions. How are you doing today? Benjamin, I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. How are you? Uh, excellent. Well, uh, happy Martin Luther King Day today to you. Thank you. Today, um, uh, this episode is brought to you by BudsFeed, LinkedIn for Leaders, and 8 Saints brand CBD products. You can look at their URLs down at the bottom of this page. So I want to give some context here. Uh, Tom and I went to competing high schools. It was just a few short years ago. Uh, competed in, in uh, athletics against one another and reconnected here in June of this past year. He's got an amazing factory here in Denver. They've been working on, on packaging for 25 years. He's had this company. And I toured the facility and they've, they've got some really interesting processes there with is it's injected uh, uh, molds with foam and just really cool things and they're able to pivot quickly and they've been able to pivot uh, in terms of helping others in terms of make, going into some PPE manufacturing here in the states there in their factory as well as into the cannabis industry so Tom why don't you give some background as to you know how you got into this and what you guys are working on tell us about your company yeah um, so my company is called Protective Packaging Solutions, as you said. Uh, we're a fairly diversified packaging company. Uh, we, we do primarily protective packaging, then we also get into a little bit of retail packaging as well. Uh, my brother and I have owned the company for 15 years now, uh, and we got, we got into this business uh, mainly because we had another business that had a misfortune of losing one of its largest customers, and we had to find something new to do. Uh, my background is industrial engineering, so it wasn't really outside of my educational space to get into a company that goes out and designs and manufactures custom packaging, primarily protective packaging. Uh, over the last 15 years, we've opened another facility out in Cincinnati. So now we have a facility in Denver as well as a facility in Cincinnati. And what we do is, is just that. People bring us items that need to be protected and we create custom designs to protect those products, and then we manufacture that packaging. <clears throat> Sorry, I so what would be an example of, of, of something that needs to be protected and explain the type of package that that might be? So an example, example might be somebody, call it a desktop receiver for say a satellite TV company. Someone might bring that receiver to us and say, here's the fragility of this product. And we need to ship this product via UPS, um, so it's going to possibly be carried around and maybe dropped from 30, 36 inches high uh, hmm. and create something that goes inside the box to protect that product if it gets dropped. 
or throughout the shipping process. It's like a lot of the packages that I get from Amazon or something, they're ripped or, you know, yeah. they've just been thrown around. And so I understand the, the need for that, specifically in delicate items, expensive items. Um, I can see how that would really be beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and even more as we drift into this, uh, this new world of fulfillment purchasing versus buying something off of a retail shelf, that, that brand owner, that, that manufacturer, their one chance to satisfy you as a customer is to make sure that that product gets to your living room safe. Because if you open it up and it's broken, your customer satisfaction level has gone through the floor. And so, so it's become very important for these manufacturers to make sure that their products arrive alive. Uh, and that's, that's what we specialize in. The, um, tell us about your factory and the, and the process in which you, you make these protective uh, cases and packaging. Yeah. So, you know, we have two factories and, and throughout these factories, we have different types of equipment for fabrication purposes. And so depending upon what a particular design might need from fabrication, you know, we will apply that uh, to create the finished product. So in Denver, uh, we have uh, CNC, which is computerized numerical, numerical control. Uh, so it means a computer program or, or a graphics program controls the machinery. Uh, in Denver, we have a, a CNC laser machine, uh, CNC routing machine, uh, and a CNC cutting slash routing machine. And so, and then we also have um, horizontal and vertical band saws. We have five or six types of die cutters from flatbed die cutters to clamshell die cutters to conveyor fed die cutters. Uh, and then we have um, heat welding because uh, one of our main types of foam that we use is polyethylene. And so if you want to put two pieces of polyethylene together and not put another substrate like glue into the process, because when you add glue, you take away the recyclability, we'll, huh. we'll bond those two items with heat. So we just have like, like a hot air gun that melts the surface and you put the two together. So we have a pretty extensive heat welding uh, assembly set up. And then we do also have an auto gluing assembly in case we have to just combine substrates that the only way to do it is, is through glue. Uh, in, De in Cincinnati, it's a very similar operation, except for we have water jet cutting. So CNC water jet cutters, and we have two of those out there. Uh, and so again, once we create a design, sometimes that design is just a plain pad. It just needs to be die cut or bandsaw cut. Sometimes it needs to be die cut, bandsaw cut or CNC routed and then combined with some other pieces. It's just uh, really the complexity of the item really just depends on the, the item itself. You know, I love the idea of, of kind of gluing those together with heat as opposed to traditional glue, because most people would say, oh, this is recyclable. You know, they put it in the recycling bin and then it can't be recycled at all because of that right. substrate in there. So that, that's really important, you know, talking about sustainability and educating the customer on those options. And, and I know that you guys are uh, big into recyclability is that all of that, the foam that you use is recycled and can be recycled. Is that right? Yeah, so foam gets a little bit of a bad rap, I think, because uh, mainly because some of the large curbside recycling companies have, to this point, chosen not to accept it in their curbside recycling. They could fully recycle the product. Anytime it's a single polymer plastic, it can be redensified, repelletized, and recycled, as long as there's not another substrate added into the middle of it, uh, like glue. So I think educating the consumers and also we're working with our big suppliers to try to, to keep the ball moving forward to get these products curbside recyclable. And I think we eventually will. Uh, 
but it is a big education process. The, the EU, the European Union has been very progressive ahead of the United States on this. And with the heat welding of foams we've had been doing for 15 years, because they didn't want us to have multiple substrates put together, they wouldn't accept them. So that's why we, we've been shipping them to Europe since we own the company. And, and we use the same process here in the United States. Are you, do you see that the states are behind uh, many parts of Europe in, in that way, in terms of recyclability, sustainability, awareness? Absolutely. I, I, think, I think we're a long ways behind, actually. Uh, you know, and part of it is just land mass. You know, they, they, have, they have a lot of people in a lot less land. So they've had to really address this problem much more aggressively than we have uh, over the last 20, 25 years. I think the United States is catching up, and I really think right now in the in especially in packaging in the packaging business there there's a very some very heavy pressure to have more sustainable more environmentally friendly products yeah well let's talk about design and sustainability um you know what i've talked about on the show a lot is reducing waste uh using less using smaller amounts what have you seen over the years and where are you guys going in terms of those either requests from your customers or the education that you're doing to your customers on why that's better. Yeah, we're seeing that trend start to accelerate. And, and when you look at what we do, protective packaging versus call it retail packaging, they have two missions. You know, retail packaging has a mission of, of branding the product, presenting the product, and in the cannabis case, in your case, perhaps protecting the product from children, uh, whereas protective packaging, really its mission is to get the product to the end user without being broken. And so when we start looking at design and you start saying, how does design tie into sustainability? Well, good design is gonna use less material. It's gonna create a better design using less material in a smaller package. That's gonna be more sustainable and better for the environment because you have less corrugated box, you have less space that's taken up. It's gonna be cheaper to ship and use less energy when you ship it. And so the starting point is to pick the right materials and get a good design. Uh, the second component where design really, really plays into it is performance. If that item ships out to the customer and arrives broken, what happens? So the customer either has to ship it back. So now you have all the energy to ship that product back and then they have to get another one to ship to them. So now mm -hmm. you've doubled the packaging, doubled the carbon footprint because the, the item arrived, arrived broken. And even worse, more often than not today, they don't even want it back. It just goes into a landfill. So now you take a broken product that went into a landfill and then you double the carbon footprint of materials used to package it just because there was poor design and poor performance of protective packaging. So that, that's where you know people kind of get really wrapped around the material that's used and whether that material has a good end of life uh, or not. And they lose they lose focus on if they if they put it into this super, super, super compostable, recyclable, biodegradable material, but it arrives broken, <laughs> you, you've thrown away all the good by, by having to replace the product. So I see, you know, I, I read an article that was similar to that the other day about how a lot of people because of COVID have ordered, let, let's say you're ordering clothes, you order multiple sizes, knowing that you can send some back, you know, because you can't go into the store and try them on. And the unintended consequence of that, of sending back, is creating that doubling up or tripling up of the carbon footprint, the shipping, the gas, the packaging, all that stuff that doesn't go into consideration, certainly by consumers that doesn't go into like, oh, I have to send it back, now I need to put it in an extra package. Because rarely do you use the same package. 
you know. Oh, like absolutely, said. exactly. You know, and so and, and and then if you want something else, they're going to put it in yet a different package and ship it to you. You know, as we all come home to our front porches with Amazon boxes everywhere, uh, that's that is that phenomenon is really starting to play out as as the volume of of purchases are going through fulfillment and internet uh, channels. Like I could see the work that you do in making packages that are protective, meaning that they wouldn't break themselves, or at least the contents inside wouldn't break, how just that in a, in a fact that that is a big benefit in even though, and, and it may or may not cost more, but just the fact that it wouldn't break or what's in it wouldn't break really cuts that whole um, equation out. Not if you order two or three, but chances are you're not going to order two or three different sizes of, you know, computers or whatever to send two of them back, you know. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I've got a, a comment here from Sterling. Sustainability and the future go hand in hand. What do you what do you think about that comment? And when you're choosing materials, you talked about about that before. Choosing materials to benefit the future, um, how much of that do you do? So if you could answer both those questions, that'd be great. Absolutely, that's a, a great comment, Sterling. Uh, yeah, I, I agree that you know when you start looking at material selection in protective packaging, then then the biggest thing, performance, obviously, that we already talked about comes into play, that you want to have materials that work. But two, you start looking at, okay, where do these materials come from? How much energy does it take to create these materials? Are these materials from virgin resins or, or virgin petrochemicals? Or are these materials driven from recycled resins or recycled products? Those are big in the initial selection to say, okay, let's, let's find materials that are made from recycled products. That keeps the, the chain going. Uh, about 80% of the polyethylene we use in both of our plants comes from 100% recycled polyethylene resin. We, re we recycle 100% of our scrap. We sell that scrap back to extruders who then sell us foam coming in the direction. So we have a little bit of a closed loop. The second side of materials is when you get into end of life. And that's where everybody says, okay, is it recyclable? Is it compostable? Is it degradable? Is it biodegradable if you really want to jump on the train? And, and those are very important aspects to look at, to say what is happening to this product when it gets to its end of life? You know, is it is it being recycled? Is it being put into a recycling bin and not being recycled? Because the, re the financials of the recycling market right now are so terrible that many products, even though someone puts them in a curbside bin and they make it back to a recycler, they can't afford to recycle them because there's no market for it. So mm. I think, how do we solve that issue? And I think that's happening a lot. Um, or is it better to maybe have something that goes into the landfill, but, but is biodegradable, that can be consumed by bacteria, that, that is compostable, that will benefit the, the, the landfill as it starts to degrade and compost. So I think both of those aspects are extremely important when you start you know, looking at the priorities of, of packaging and, and protective packaging is to to really understand the, the full life of what that material is going to do and how it's going to be disposed of. Because you know, as we we all have seen the pictures of the islands of polystyrene floating around, uh, and, and that's terrible. We, you know, that is that is what as leaders in the packaging industry we have to solve. Well, you know, it's a it's it's a challenge how to educate consumers on this stuff because you just said you have to know how do they know, in your right. opinion, how would they know? Or if you're making this, do you educate? I mean, you know, that's the thing that we've tried to address over the past two months, really, on this show and through a lot of posts is 
how do you find out, you know, especially if a lot of companies are not transparent in what they do, like that glue versus the bonding, they don't really talk about that. You know, we're going to see a lot more of that coming up in the next three to five years. But as it is now, it feels like a lot of companies, first of all, they're not aware. Secondly, if they have something that isn't going to be sustainable, they're not going to talk about it. So how do you work with customers and then their customers to understand what goes into the life of a package? Yeah, it, it's a challenging education process. And, and here's you know why in many ways. So there's the term I'm sure that people have heard of called greenwashing, you know, mm-hmm. which is where they just kind of make up descriptions of products and, and say, hey, well, this is green and it's super environmentally friendly, but they don't, they don't really get into the details of, of why or, or is it really environmentally friendly? You know, I, the reality of packaging is you're, you're manufacturing, you're creating a product that's going to be disposed of. That, that in and of itself, that model is, is an environmental challenge. So then you have to step back and say, okay, we know that this process is going to take place. You know, in the perfect world, we would reuse everything and never throw it away. It's just that that closed loop doesn't doesn't financially make sense uh, or is it executable. So once we understand the problem that we're going to be disposing of items, then we say, okay, what what is the best? And and then how do we make sure the consumer understands that, hey, this pad that you just pulled out of that box, that pad is biodegradable. Don't don't throw it in your recycling bin because we don't want it there. We actually want it in the landfill because when it gets in the landfill, all the bacteria are going to eat it and, and they're going to dispose of it and they're going to grow more bacteria. They're going to eat more stuff. And so that that education process, you know, what we are trying to do is explain it in the product, explain it to the customer of ours because we don't sell packaging to the end user. We sell packaging to the manufacturer mm-hmm. <laughs> who ships it to the end user. And, and then and, you know, and get that, that manufacturer to tell their customers, hey, the, you just bought this computer and it just showed up with this pad that you have no idea what it's about. But there's this little story that's written on top of it. And this pad's really good. This pad isn't bad you know, for the environment. And so I think that's the process we're going through now as to try to, to, to get manufacturers to put a priority on it, to understand that their customers have a priority on it. I mean, when you look back at the styrofoam cup, polystyrene cup world, Mm -hmm. you know, fast food restaurants didn't shift from the styrofoam cup to the paper cup because they were mandated to. They shifted because their customers told them they wanted it (laughs) and it was important to them. And because Mm -hmm. of that, it made total financial sense for them to go, Let's get rid of this cup and change it to a cup that our customers want. And if we do that in protective packaging for everything, someone goes, it's important to me if I buy this phone, that this phone arrives in a a package that has been thought through from a sustainability standpoint and from an environmental standpoint. Uh, I think the trends are getting much stronger than they have been over the past maybe two decades or 15 years since we've owned the business, But, but I think that, that that process still needs to accelerate. You know, one of the predictions I made, it's not really a prediction, it's just one of the trends that I talked about on the first day of the year was that companies need to talk about it and that you're missing out on a huge part of your, your, your brand is if you don't talk about it, your consumers will be like, what are you hiding? You know, so, you know, what, what I see is companies need to say what they're doing, even if it's not 100%, because nobody's 100% unless you, you know, have a banana peel that biodegrades like for a package, uh, fruit, something like that. But if you are, 
if you're a CEO of a company and you don't talk about what you're trying to do or where you're going or make your plans available to the public, they're going to say they're they they they're not doing something. And I'm not going to buy from them. So that's really you know what I've what I've kind of put out here as a challenge is for companies to talk about what they're doing. Now it may not be something that everybody agrees with, and but that's you know when you have big companies, it takes a while to get there. And what I've seen is by 2025 is when most of these companies do have mandates that they will become something. You know they'll become carbon neutral or they're going to buy. You know they're, they're going to have everything recyclable. There are a lot of big companies that are going that direction. And the companies that aren't, they're going to miss out on a lot of sales. They're going to lose, lose out on a lot of existing customers. And they're just not going to uh, you know, make as much money because of that. So not only is it good for the environment, it's good for the bottom line. So I, I completely agree. Yeah. I've got a question here. Um, what material do you use to package for blister packaging? We don't actually do any blister packs, uh, you know, so I think if, if my knowledge is correct, the blister packs are primarily made out of polypropylene. Uh, and if that's the case, you know, as long as that polypropylene is, is, is clean, is, does not have other substrates combined to it, then it is a recyclable plastic. Uh, you know, you get to the difficulty of how <laughs> is is it curbside recyclable, or how or how do you get it back to a company that extrudes it? Uh, and that's I, that is where I think we have probably the biggest gap today. Is is there we have recyclable products, recyclable materials that are used. We just don't have the the pathway to get those products back to a company who can reuse them and recycle them. So I, I don't want to dodge the blister pack, but it's just not a space that we're in. Uh, and yeah. so, so we- Well, you know, we've, do we've done some some exploratory work with PLA as a biodegradable, yep. uh, you know, and that's something that I think will be important coming up really is just looking at all those kind of bio materials, you know, that, that can biodegrade. So let's get into that question. What have you seen for the new materials that are up and coming, like like bio, like hemp. You know, where where do you see that going, and what are you guys working on in that respect? Yeah, yeah, I I think the new materials are starting to come on the market much much faster today than they have been over the last decade or two. And one of the areas that I know you guys have talked quite a bit about is, and it's a great area to talk about, are the biofilms. Um, you know, when you start to bio is, is such a weird, sometimes missed used term in in, in degradability. But these films have, have additives and have strains in them and they're manufactured using materials that allow them to, to either be consumed by bacteria, which biodegradability, at least I'm not, I'm not a scientist, I'm only an engineer, but, but biodegradability, the definition that was given to me was that it has to be able to be fully consumed by bacteria without residue. So mm -hmm. when you really cross that line, you know, a lot of these these films maybe aren't a hundred percent biodegradable, but they're gonna they're gonna degrade. So they're gonna break back down into original components, and the components in there that are used with materials that bacteria can consume are going to be consumed. And so they they are far better than a material that's gonna sit there and have a thousand year half life uh, in a landfill. And, and these films are really coming online. We are working with a company right now out in Kentucky that we've designed a pad. It's gonna that has biofilms layers over it, and then has inside of it has has uh, degradable um, 
like peanut almost that makes this pad pliable and it makes it very uh, um, solid for packaging as well as for temperature controlled shipping. And this pad is compostable, completely degradable in a landfill. Uh, so, you know, you put, you compare that pad going into a landfill versus you know, make a piece of EPS or, or even a free rise urethane or something where it's a combination of chemicals. And, th and these are far, far better. Uh, hmm. I think you're seeing more of these biofilms and plastics in some of the thermal forms and blister packs that are coming out. Companies are getting aggressive to use it for the same th purpose. You're going to have a, a product that works well for the packaging and then and then has this component that, that's going to allow it to degrade in, in a landfill. Um, so that's one product we're really excited about. Uh, we hope to really be, be pushing that, you know, by probably the middle of 2021 is our is our goal. Hmm. Uh, and then in the other space, I think uh, a new product that we are just starting to look at and bring online, I, I was not familiar with it until recently, is if you're familiar with molded pulp. So molded pulp is a type of packaging. Uh, the most basic description is an egg crate, the mm -hmm. non-polystyrene egg crates. <laughs> and what it is, it's, just, it's the slurry of paper fiber that is put together that is then poured into a mold and it forms the shape of that mold. And you see molded pulp packaging throughout uh pr the protective packaging world and it's a very good product it is com it's paper so it is already 100 recyclable uh but now a product that we just saw coming online was a pulp product that instead of being made by paper fiber is made by hemp waste so they're taking the hemp waste and saying let's incorporate these fibers into a pulp molded pulp product and 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 we're coming up with a performance product that is equal to to that of the paper product, but you're you're disposing of the hemp waste in a very very, you know, repurposed way, which which is a benefit, uh, and then and then you know, kind of completes the circle, especially in the cannabis industry. Yeah, you know, we're uh, in Colorado, obviously being a first state that that has crossed that the line in the United States. We've become very involved in cannabis packaging because it's such a large industry. Mm hmm. You know, that's interesting about the, the hemp. I get questions all the time about that, about hemp packaging. And, you know, we, we've done a lot of work, you know, Santa packaging, whom we work with, they're, they're, you know, big into hemp. And I think it's going to be something that's only going to grow. I mean, hemp is a huge, huge market. And if there are ways that we can find out, uh, figure out ways to do more like what you're talking about with, uh, with the pulp, uh, that would be something that would really, you know, be beneficial in my opinion. I agree. I think one challenge when you get into substantive uh, packaging, so you're using, say, hemp instead of using paper fiber, most of the time when you do this, the cost goes up most mm. of the time, you know, and, and then, then it becomes very difficult. People are like, yeah, I love the story. I love the story, but, uh, but I can't pay more. You know? so why, and, why is it more expensive? Well, paper? just in, in general, unless it's a byproduct or unless it's like a waste where you're in, in sense getting it for free, the, the, the paper production and paper mill and paper fiber production is such a massive industry and they have such hugely high volumes that they're able to produce these products at a lower cost than the people are able to produce a hemp fiber. Um, you know, so even though someone might really like the story behind hemp, it, it's, it's unlikely that they're going to produce it at a lower cost than paper at this point. Now, again, if it's, if it's more of a byproduct where you're doing something and then you're getting this leftover that is in a sense free, then you can make it. And it is in the packaging we're showing that this hemp product coming online is less expensive than traditional molded pulp because of that. So it's not only just a great story, it, it, it is less expensive packaging, so it's more effective. Right, good. 
I've got a comment here from James uh, from before. The challenge with PLA is that only bio biodegrades in commercial facility does not do well in the recycling chain. That effect can be negative. So thanks, thanks for that information, uh, James. Uh, James, uh, I'll look into that. Thank you. So, uh, Tom, what else do you see coming on online, at least, let's say, over the next five years, uh, other than kind of biofilms and hemp? What are you excited yeah, about? The, the other side is I see people using, one thing in the protective world, uh, the electronics side of our business, these devices are getting more and more durable. Uh, and, and because of that, when their durability goes up, then their need for traditional cushioning as a packaging starts to diminish. And so what we're going to start seeing as a trend is, is more and more fully recycled products, call it like corrugated or even chipboard, being used as a cushioning component inside of a package. So you don't even have, you know, call it a foam package inside of it because you, it, the product doesn't need it. And, and I think that trend is, is something that over the next three to five years, we're going to be seeing more and more of it. Uh, and in our, in our Denver facility, we, re we recently just added some digital printing uh, as well as uh, our ability with a flatbed cutting table and routing table to, to be able to create these designs, fully create them and have printed products that, that are complete packages and have protected packaging components without really the addition of any foam or any cushioning product. Uh, and so that, that, that's something that we're, we're actively accelerating our, our business. So it is again, less is more, you know, less really, you know, what we're going to see is less, less packaging, more innovative packaging, maybe more air cushioning, just things so you have less, whatever the material is to go into protect your, your products. Absolutely. That, I mean, that, that, that component less is more is, uh, is a trend that's going to keep up. It's a good trend in packaging. Uh, and for, you know, a lot of reasons, you know, like one, the fact that the items are more durable, you know, that doesn't really, it's not really someone pushing ahead to try to find sustainable packaging, but it's, but the, the effect of it is, okay, great, it's durable. I can use less cushioning. I can use less packaging. I can put it in smaller packages, you know, and, and in doing that, it, it's a really big effect when you look at the size of the, the market and, and the packaging industry. Well, the, the thing that I think is cool about that is that we don't have to educate companies or the mainstream on why sustainability is good, because we know that's a big challenge. But if the packages can just have less and they cost less and consumers buy them or at least retail, you know, manufacturers buy those and pass those on to retail, whom passes those on to consumers, it's going to it's going to do sustainability well anyway. So, you know, that's really where I see the trends coming is not using the money to educate consumers, but it's using uh, corporate money to be innovative and reduce and reduce packaging waste. Absolutely. I mean, even if you look at like the, the monster in the room, Amazon. Amazon created a program called APAS uh, in, in trying to uh, change the way that their suppliers package products. And one of the key components of it is they want to double package less. So they want people to ship an item into Amazon that it can be shipped out of Amazon in. So Amazon doesn't have to take this item that's in a box and put it in a bigger box, you know, and, you know, and that trend, you know, as more and more customers are buying things through fulfillment instead of buying them off of a shelf, a retail shelf, 
that that trend of coming up with more efficient packaging so that someone goes yeah let's let's just don't ship it into us in a, in a bulk 10 pack and have us package it into 10 big boxes ship it in the product that it's going to go out in you know and and uh our company gets very involved in that our, our design engineers are APAS certified you know they understand the process and so when some reach some manufacturer says, okay, I want to sell my products through Amazon, but I want my product to be APAS certified, then they have to find somebody who understands the ideas behind it. And, you know, Amazon just being one, one companies is that trend is something that we'll see, I think, throughout, um, throughout the packaging world as more and more people buy products that end up in their living room in the same package that it came off the manufacturing line. In. And, it's a good thing. It's good. Well, Tom, I want to thank you for your time. Um, if someone wants to know more about the APAS certification, your process, you know, everything that you do, how can they reach you? Yeah, our, uh, our website is PPSPKG, Protective Packaging Solutions Packaging, PPSPKG.com. Uh, jump on our website. There's a lot of forms, a lot of places where you can just get in touch with us and uh, shoot us an email and we'll reach back out to you and uh, take care of your problem for you. Awesome, thanks. Well, thanks for being on the show and I look forward Great. to talking to you soon. Sounds good, Benjamin, good seeing you, take care.